students. Who doesn't love weekends? Full of selfies, snaps, chats, and whatever else you get up to. So fuel your passion for the weekend with a little help from Vodafone X. Switch today and get unlimited weekends and 20 gigs of 4G data for just 20 euro top-up. Plus 100 minutes of calls and unlimited tax. Now that's more fuel for more fun. Search Vodafone X now. For full terms, conditions and limitations, including our fair usage policy, see Vodafone.ie. August the 3rd, Roundtable Edition. I'm your host, as always, Ari Shapiro, and on today's show, I've put together a toasty, sparkling roundtable consisting of three brilliant media minds that combined form some kind of Voltron robot or transformer. I'm not sure. But when you consider that on tonight's show, we have Zwelling from Sportsnet, Jesse Goldberg-Strasser, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, and our very own site expert, Chris Henderson. I think you'll agree that we've got to get to it almost immediately. Being said, I will provide you with what I like to call my obligatory monologue. And I know some of you are big fans, some not so. But the thing I have to say on this off day for the Blue Jays is that the next few days will test your patience and try your loyalty because the Blue Jays, of course, will be facing the Houston Astros and the dreaded New York Yankees. We're talking about two teams that have pretty much been exactly what all other teams in the American League one day hope to be. If you consider the way the Houston Astros have developed themselves into a, an American League West juggernaut, and then factor in the way the New York Yankees have somehow managed to pull off what the Blue Jays management has been referring to as a contend and rebuild year, boy, there's no such thing as an oxymoron anymore because we've got proof proof in the kinds of teams that have remained ahead of the Blue Jays all year in the standings. And so the next week or so will really dictate just how much of a surge they were able to acquire in beating the Oakland Athletics, in prevailing over the Chicago White Sox, the LA Angels. We have a reality check. Those were not the types of teams that find what this Blue Jays team really is about. So with me now, as promised, are three gentlemen whom I feel truly privileged to be able to sit down and talk about your Toronto Blue Jays. With me now is sportscast author and blogger Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, radio voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and author of the baseball thesaurus Jesse Goldberg-Strasser, and the site expert at Jays Journal, Chris Henderson. I'm going to start this roundtable by asking you the question, Chris. Given this off day and a chance for fans to stop, read, listen, pay attention to what's going on with their team, there seems to be this growing sentiment that the Blue Jays have raised ticket prices because they plan to maybe invest in this team. And I say maybe it's a bit of a novelty around these parts to talk about the team as being one that's investing in itself. Do you think that under Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, this is a 
that in saying they want to compete in 2018 and keep rebuilding, that they'll actually invest in the team? I, I like to believe that they will. I mean, uh, we've seen a, a bit of a shift in as far as uh, spending money with the Rogers organization in the last few years. I felt like they've been more willing to open their wallet. And just even the fact that, uh, you know, some of the deals that they could have entertained at the deadline this year, whether it be uh, Donaldson or Hap, the fact that they hung on to, to those two gentlemen um, just makes me think that they're more serious about 2018. And and very serious about investing in this fan base that supported the team the way the way that they have you know this year has been incredible just to, to see the numbers with the struggling team it's uh, it's been wonderful so I'm optimistic I think that uh, there's reason to believe that, that that the front office is totally in on uh, next season so this question Arden from your experience are there telltale signs based on the kinds of transactions that were made at the trade deadline that as Chris alluded to this is an organization that is intent on maybe testing the free agent waters and trying ways to invest in this team so that 2018 isn't perceived as just a delay tactic for kids to come up? Well, I don't know about, you know, how it relates to free agency. I think that, you know, free agency is something that you have to assess when you get there and, and see what's available to you, what your alternatives are, both inside your, your organization and outside of it and, and, you know, through trade and you make decisions at that point. I think that if, you know, like Chris said, if the trade deadline tells you anything, it's that there's not going to be a massive rebuild. There's not going to be a massive teardown. Uh, the Blue Jays are simply looking to retool for 2018. So, Jesse, as someone who has, tremendous amount of perspective on the youth movement, the, the, the minor league prospects. You see them every day. You have, I guess, what we, all of us together could say is an insider's perspective. How do you respond to fans infinitely cynical in looking at the announcements of the increase in ticket prices and knowing that there is a challenge because today's team has really to meet the expectations set forth at the start of the year? Well, there's a part of me that doesn't blame fans for being cynical. I think if you're a Chicago Cubs fan that you can be cynical all the way up until you win the championship, at which point you're the champions. So I think as a fan, you can react however you'd like, and then you just want the team to prove you wrong. And the second they prove you wrong, you want to look around with all your friends with a big smile on your face, and you say, boy, I never thought that they would do it, and how great is this? So I don't mind a little bit of cynicism, and I don't mind the Blue Jays raising ticket prices, and I don't mind the Blue Jays saying, look, here's our plan. We've got these players. We're making these additions. We're trying to solidify our core for next year. We're continuing to try to compete. We feel that we were sabotaged by injuries, and here's what we're trying to install in place. All the while, the players that I'm seeing in the minor leagues are not ready yet. Rowdy Telez is going to need another year in AAA. And Richard Arrhenia is going to need another year likely in double-A. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to need some more time as well. And Bo and Vladdy are still, when they make it to the major leagues, that's not going to be their peak. They're going to need some time. So I really do think that there is some patience in order. But I enjoy the Jays front office saying, while this patience is going on, we don't plan to lose. We don't plan to stop trying to win. They're going to keep trying. But I, I go back to what I said at the very start. If you're a cynical fan, there's no need for you to believe that until you actually see the wins occur. And I'm wondering, Chris, is that a, a familiar or perhaps expected delivery from an organization to tell its fans, we plan on being competitive? At the end of the day, uh, the savvy fan understands whether or not an organization is intent on backing up its words and, and basically proving their value to the fans. And, of course, this year there's been a lot of social media 
uh, trolling and a lot of aggressive rhetoric related to the fact that fans feel like they're not getting value. And of course, unfortunately, this year there has been about, uh, I'd say, a dozen blowouts. Uh, three, 24 players on the Was this just a case of everything that could have gone right going absolutely wrong here? Respect that should be used as a reason for the average fan to say keep things in perspective rather than writing off this team after what they've done. You know, I look at I look at the roster and the pieces that are in place, and you know, if I'm looking at some of the other teams that have kind of making a go of it or have decided that they were they're going to be buyers, I feel like the Blue Jays have just as many foundational pieces, um, you know, in that kind of way as a lot of other teams. I wrote an article. Uh, a day or two ago that was talking about how the Red Sox and the, and the Yankees have shifted into win-now mode, in particular the Yankees, just to, the fact that they were buyers at the at the deadline. And to me, you know, like they have a lot of talent. Uh, there's no denying that. You know, there's Aaron Judge and the Gary Sanchez and the Severinos. And, um, but I feel like the Blue Jays have just as much foundational talent um, that I don't feel like there's any need to just roll over and submit to those quote-unquote superpowers of the AL East. Um, especially knowing, um, you know, this is a time that uh, the fan base has been revitalized in Toronto. And it would be a shame to see uh, see us go back just to square one and then to build it up again. I think, it, you know, from an ownership standpoint and from a fan base standpoint, I'm fully in support of, of continuing to try to uh, compete in the meantime without sacrificing the future. And Arden made an interesting point related to the expectations placed upon prospects. We all know it takes time. They're not all go- they're not all going to be the types of that in the first or even second year might even come anywhere near potential. Are you satisfied with your experience playing this team that a nucleus of, say, Marcus Stroman and Devin Travis and Roberto Asuna and Aaron Sanchez can be enough to keep this team competitive? Or do you feel that there needs to be a closer look at how to address the kinds of deficiencies that happened this year, especially when it comes to outfield production or up the middle? Well, yeah, that's a fine core that you mentioned there. And, you know, the only question that you can have with those four really is health. You know, you think about Aaron Sanchez and the finger and Devin Travis and the many injuries he's experienced over the last couple of years. But, you know, I think that the best teams at the major league level are generally a blend of, you know, players like that who are young and, and athletic and talented and establishing themselves in the major leagues. And then you've got kind of players in the maybe 27 to 31 range who are in their primes and have figured out how to be their, their best selves at the major league level and how to uh, compete and how to win and, and, and just how to be a big league ball player. And then also kind of the, the veteran players and the guys who are maybe on the back nine of their career, but bring a lot of savvy and a lot of wisdom and, and generally still some production if they're still major league ball players at that age. So I think that the, the best teams are really just kind of a, a blend of, of those stages of player. And I'm sure that's what the Toronto Blue Jays would like to build going forward. Let me jump in real quick with Arden, too, because I think when you talk about what a team needs to win, right, you want those pinnacle players. You want the centerpieces. You want the closers lights out, and they've had that with Roberto Osuna. All right, so you want a guy in the middle of your order who gets on, who hits home runs, who plays good defense. Well, you've got that, too. And what it seems to me is the Jays have, they've had the players at the top. They've had some premier players. And then they've had the guys at the lower level, that replacement level, whether it's guys doing just enough to get done or you can make your suppositions as you'd like. It's all those players in between. I think that that has been one of the big key questions. I completely agree with that, Jesse. You know, looking at the way the franchise has played this year and just, you know, looking at the dialogue around the, the home run being, you know, go big or go home kind of style of the offense, I really, I felt like, those key pieces are there, and yeah, lots of them have been injured, and, and some have underperformed, but uh, it just feels like a few of those intangible, 
uh, pieces have just been missing from a talented team. So, you know, that's why personally I'm I'm in favor of, uh, of a retool for next year, and, and I feel like the team could certainly be competitive next year with a, with a few tweaks. The trouble, I think, with that as your team makeup is you can beat the best teams with a roster like they've got, and then you can go into a prolonged losing streak. So what they've got right now is the elements to win a dramatic game or to win a couple of dramatic games, but not the elements to do it over the course of a long season. Does that ultimately account for some of these lopsided efforts that are really unusual? I mean, two years ago, I think there were only maybe five or six losses by a margin of seven or more, or more runs last year. About the same. This year, it's it seems like it's every week, and especially on a Sunday, which I can't seem to understand why they're doing that to the fans. It's a very torturous experience to take a family <laughs> of four down to the Rogers Center, spend all that money on parking concessions to get your, quote, fan value, and then end up having to witness that your team in the bottom of the third inning is down by 11. Jesse, let me ask you a question that's on a lot of fans' minds. 54 games left to play and five games that separate them from a glut of teams all competing for that second wildcard spot. Is it completely fairy tale and unreasonable to, to, to tell a fan that until this baseball season is over, anything is possible when you have not one but two wildcard positions in baseball? Well, this is why it's so tantalizing, is because I just made the case that the Blue Jays are actually a good team in a short series, but a poor team over the course of a long summer. And so if they're close, if they're really close, you say, oh my gosh, all they've got to do is get in, and you know that Roger Center will be rocking, and maybe more magic will happen. Maybe a player will commit a ton of errors in a row. You never know. But <laughs> then there's that logical side where you go, it's, <laughs> there are so many teams ahead of them. And so I really do think it's, it's the fans' emotions butting up against their brain, right? It's yeah. the logic against that fan side of yourself where every week brings either new hope or new despair. You summarized my entire season for me right there, Jesse. <laughs> Arden, I'm when you look at this team and you see the teams that are above them in the standings for the one card, is there, is there one in particular that you worry about? Because I look at these teams and I say to myself, with maybe the exception of the New York Yankees, all of them have been really, really inconsistent. And even the Yankees have gone through stretches where they haven't looked nearly as good as they do on the highlight package every night. What are your thoughts about the team also vying for wildcard positions this year in the American League? I might be a little too in the bubble because I'm like I've completely moved on from thinking of the Toronto Blue Jays as a possible postseason contender. I mean, I truly don't believe it's going to happen this year. So I haven't really looked at them in the context of how they match up with the other wildcard contenders. Um, you know, I do know that those teams that are currently kind of jockeying for position at the top of the wildcard standings aren't in, you know, overwhelmingly impressive. You don't look at their lineups and say, wow, this is a stacked team. When you look at the Tampa Bay Rays or Kansas City Royals, Minnesota Twins, um, you know, the, some of the other teams that are up there, uh, you know, I think that the Houston Astros, Boston Red Sox, clearly the class of the American League, Cleveland's right there, uh, as are the New York Yankees, really. I think that's a good team and adding Sonny Gray at the trade deadline is only going to help them not only this year, but in the next couple of years is, you know, he's still a young player with a few, a few years of control left. So that, that's kind of how I would sum up where the American League uh, playoff race is at right now. Now I'd like to turn our attention to something that's been irritating me enormously. And I know I speak for many listeners who over the past few weeks have witnessed Toronto Blue Jays games 
with really, really dubious umpiring. The kind of officiating that within about 10 to 15 pitches into a game, you start to understand why a Jay Happ or a Marcus Stroman is grumbling and frustrated and why there'll be eventual bench-clearing brawls because emotions are just all over the place. Jesse, I want to get your opinion on something that I'm sure you've talked about many times before, and I'm sure that Chris and Art written about many times before. When will baseball clean up the fact that it has a two-tiered system of umpiring, either ones who really know what they're doing and follow the rules of the game, as opposed to those like the Vic Carapazas or the Will Littles or the Jerry Davises of the world who make it about them? Oh, you're not going to like my answer to this question. (laughs) I have a two-tiered answer, okay? Exactly. All right. So I really do think that umpires need to be fired and we need to have robots for the strike zone. I think that's that's A. I think you go right to a robot strike zone, you put a red light and a green light behind the home plate, or perhaps two other color lights, so that way if somebody's colorblind, they would understand. And if the pitch is in the zone, one color light lights up, it's a red. And if the pitch isn't in the zone, it's a green. Or vice versa, green for strike, red for not a strike, and that way the batter can swing. And then he can immediately look behind himself and see if he swung at a strike or not. Easy. So that's one side of it is that bothers me about umpiring, that there is still this human error in terms of we've got track men. We've got all sorts of different ways that we are grading the zone that we can see if an umpire missed. So I don't see why this is still in place. So umpires will hate that answer. And then my other answer is people make mistakes. And so I would love to sit down with the Blue Jays, not that they would want to hear it, and say, hey, you'll be taking on this umpire tonight. You know exactly who he is. You know exactly how to push his buttons. You know what's going to happen. And it's really good for us if this doesn't, if however you react is constructive. And so whatever escalates, whatever you say, whatever he might say to provoke you, that can't stop you from winning this game. The game needs to be won. And so... I think that's the most important thing is that you've got to look at the game in perspective and say, I don't care what call he makes. I don't care what he does. The win has to override everything else. And it doesn't matter who that umpire is. All right, so those are my two answers. And neither one, I think, would sit very well with either a Blue Jay or an umpire. The one thing I'd tweak to what Jesse said is I do think that we do still need a human behind the plate. I think that the electronic strike zone is definitely something that should happen. If you can take the correct rate of calls from 95 to 100%, I think you absolutely have to do that. But I still want a human back there for check swings, fair and foul, some of the other kind of, you know, finer points of the rules. I do think there's, there has to be some sort of a person in charge of the rules uh, there. But if you took a, if, if you made an electronic strike zone, took away the balls and strike uh, kind of disputes, I think you'd get rid of a great deal of the arguments and the, you know, ejections and, and kind of the, the malarkey that we see in, in big league ball games today. Yeah, and, I, and further to what Jesse said there too, uh, you know, I wrote I wrote an article. Uh, I think it was published today, if I remember right, just talking about um, Stroman's attitude on the field and uh, just how it's going to be something that we'll see more and more of. You know, I working with uh, younger millennials these days, it's it's becoming a world of branding and a boisterous attitudes. And you know, with the, the era of social media, being the quiet guy in the corner isn't isn't as valuable as it used to be, whether to you to yourself or to your agents as well. So I think it's something that umpires, whether it's uh, whether they're going to be on the field just to monitor the electronics or what it's going to be, I think it's something that baseball and baseball purists in general have to get used to. But I also agree with Jesse that um, you know. 
as much as I support Stroman, you know, I thought it was ridiculous that him and Martin got tossed in the same pitch. So that was asinine completely. But uh, in the same breath, I also agree that you have to be aware of who you're dealing with and you have to make sure that you keep yourself in check just enough to uh, at least stay in the game. You can't afford to be getting ejected just because you got to, you know, whether an umpire doesn't like you. And I do think that the Blue Jays are treading on in dangerous territory. You know, like I, I'd like to believe that the officials are being unbiased, but um, it just seems like it's becoming too much of a regular thing with the Jays. And, and I feel like if I was to walk into an umpire's clubhouse, they'd probably be talking about, oh, great, we've got to deal with Gibbons and Stroman and Batista tonight. And, and uh, that's not a great reputation to have only because it can serve uh, to work against you. Chris, I agree. I really do think that umpires, if you ask them, hey, which managers do you like to deal with? Which managers do you not? Which pitchers are you not looking forward to having or which catchers? They're not starting the game with a blank slate. They're going to have a quicker trigger or there's going to be something about that guy that pushes their buttons quicker, the same way that I might have somebody in the office that he just has that way of pushing my buttons whether I like it or not. And so there's that human element. (laughs) Oh, and I completely agree, and I think we saw it, I believe it was Angel Hernandez that was behind the plate the other night when Hap was on the mound, and it just seemed like he was challenging Hap to react, and fortunately Hap's pretty level-headed, but uh, he, you know, it just seemed like he was like, okay, what do you got? And that's not the kind of behavior that's acceptable from an umpire, if you ask me anyway. Wouldn't that be great if we could actually speak more to the umpires and break it down and say... Yeah. This, whether this gets out, whether we report this, whatever it might be, what is acceptable umpiring behavior and what isn't? What is, what is something that you want to see and what is something that you don't want to see? Because that accountability and that understanding of if we could highlight this was a superlative umpiring performance in this series and here is why, I think that transparency would help out a lot. Now, gentlemen, I would like to ask you one last question before we wrap up this afternoon's roundtable. As we know right now, the organization is focusing on a 40-40 and 40 or 40-40 to 40 perspective of who the greatest Blue Jays of all time are. And I could easily ask you who, who your greatest Blue Jays are, but I'm more curious to know if you had to pick one that is perhaps the most underrated Blue Jay, the one that maybe a millennial or even a Gen Xer might not be aware of because they didn't see them at the start of their careers, who would it be? I want to start with you, Chris, and then we'll go to Arden and Jesse. Give me your most underrated and maybe personally coveted of all time. Oh, boy, I was hoping you'd go with me last so I could think. Um, You know, (laughs) the first guy that pops into my head um, is John Allrude. Um, you know, and, and he didn't have maybe the decorated career that some of the other guys did, but I just remember watching that uh, 93 season and just watching him flirt with a 400 uh, number. He was just such a great pure hitter, and he was a great defender. You know, that left-handed glove uh, was his asset at first base, whether it was turning double plays or uh, holding runners on. I really felt like he never got quite the due that, uh, that he maybe deserved. The uh, I'm also was hoping I wouldn't have to go first. <laughs> the, uh, the the name that comes to mind without having really looked into it and really thought over it, but the name that comes off the top of my head is Vernon Wells, who's a guy who uh, played for this organization for I think probably more than a decade. I want to mm-hmm. say he's at the top of the leaderboards for you know hits, home runs, doubles, at bats, you know a, a whole bunch of uh, statistics and while. You know, he never won an MVP, and, you know, he, he was never the best player of all time. He still had some, some really good statistical seasons, and he still put a, a lot of energy and a lot of passion into this ball club at a, at a time when it wasn't having, uh, you know, its most successful seasons. And I think that, you know, he was presented with a contract that was going to pay him a lot of money, 
and he said, yes, I would like to be paid a lot of money. Uh, and that contract <laughs> ended up looking pretty bad, uh, you know, towards the uh, towards the back nine of it. But, uh, you know, that's that's no fault of his, really. You know, the organization offered him that and, and anybody would have taken it. So I think that his contract situation kind of colored the, you know, fans' view and perspective of him and, and perhaps a, a little bit unfairly because, you know, I think you could go right across the leaderboards for a bunch of statistical categories and see Vernon Wells' name right up there. I really like this question, but I don't like it directed toward me because I'm not from Toronto or Canada. Uh, I grew up as a Detroit Tigers fan. So I, I really do think, especially I like the tact that each of my colleagues took. I think it's very important to look at those missing Blue Jays years. Right now, we're in the midst of years that whoever is 12 years old right now is going to remember their entire life because mm. what's been more dramatic than this? They're going to remember Jose Bautista's bat flip. And it was not all that long ago that I was 12, and I was 12 when the Blue Jays were winning back-to-back -back World Series. And then, so I really enjoy that. I enjoy Arden pointing out, hey, here are the years in between. Here's where Vernon Wells was great. And here's John Olerud, well said by Chris. Um, I remember very distinctly falling in love with Juan Guzman out on mm. the mound. And I thought that that Blue Jays starting rotation was so much fun. And I'm watching it from Maryland, so I'm getting to see it on the road. Blue Jays taking on the Baltimore Orioles or Jays taking on the Detroit Tigers. I thought Guzman was a sensation. So that guy's my pick. Great well, pick. I think... Those are great picks, definitely, and it's interesting because I think I may have spoken with each of you over the issue of bullpen evolution. I'll have to go with my pick, which is Tom Hankey. I think there aren't enough people who appreciated what Tom Hankey represented to this organization as their kind of archetypal closer, and in being that prototype, when one looks at his consistency and what he did, it was certainly a privilege for the franchise to have that kind of back-end closer. We hope the same thing happens, certainly. Roberto Osuna. Gentlemen, this was an absolute slice, and I want to quick around the tape starting Jesse, uh, of time, of course, uh, to tell my listeners what you've been up to, where they can find you, and what they need to know moving forward about all things Jesse Grosser. <laughs> I think the most important thing is the Blue Jays that are still three, four, five, six years away from the major leagues, I'm seeing them right now. I do the single-A Lansing Lugnuts broadcast and media relations. You can find me on Twitter at jgoldstrass. I've got a new book, My Baseball Thesaurus, third edition. should be coming out sometime this autumn and winter. But really, check in with the Lansing Lugnuts, and whatever questions you have, check in with me. Uh, I'm at sportsnet.ca, and I think you can probably find me pretty easily. I don't lock for uh, exposure, but uh, definitely go buy Jesse's book and, and listen to Around the Nest and uh, you know follow him for, for the excellent minor league uh, updates and then follow Ari and Chris as well for the, the great work at Jay's Journal. I'm going to take the opposite approach of Arden and just say I'm awesome. Make sure you know. <laughs> Check us out, uh, jaysjournal.com. You know, I'm usually doing a daily piece kind of thing, and uh, we have a great stable of writers there too, including Mr. Ari Shapiro. So uh, make sure that you check uh, check that out. Make sure, and I got to throw that in too. Make sure you order the book as well. So uh, there's some great uh, great writers on this panel. So looking forward to following all of your work. You've been listening to of Jay's Journal, Chris Henderson, the radio voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and author of the Baseball Thesaurus, Jesse Goldberg-Strasser, and the sportscaster, blogger extraordinaire, Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet. General, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure as always.